all the feels on this one. Because that's what the science says. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. Let's talk about what this looks like in real life. Facts do not have opinions. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Science is true whether or not you believe in it. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View, episode 494. And I don't know how it's taken us this long to get to this topic, but I'm super Super jazz hand excited to answer this question from your wonderful team member. Yeah, just, you know, the secret to getting your your question read on the show is either flattering us in the question or obviously like <laughs> being on one of our teams. Um, but I love this question because we've been talking about this. This is also something that's come up in our Patreon community um, a, a lot lately is how do we get teenagers to make good choices in general, but specifically like healthy choices with regards to diet and lifestyle. And uh, Lisa and I were talking about this and I said, you know, this would just be such a great topic to cover on the show. And she's like, can I submit a question? I'm like, of course you can. So uh, Lisa, shout out for the amazing question. I think I should just read it and then we can jump in because I think this is a, there's a lot of different moving parts to this topic and we come at it, I think, with really complimentary experiences. So um, I think this is going to be a really great discussion. So Lisa wrote, hello, ladies. I've been listening to your podcast for many years and have learned so much from both of you. Incorporating what I have learned from your shows has made a huge difference in both my life and that of my family. I can honestly say that it has been life-changing. Today, I'm writing with a question that I think is perfect for you too, since it incorporates many topics you have previously discussed, but I'm looking for your thoughts on these topics as they relate to teens. As a mom to a 12-year-old daughter about to enter her teen years, yikes, I was hoping you two would be able to share some insight and advice to help navigate all things teen-related. Between the two of you, I'm guessing you've probably seen it all. It's been a minute since I was a teen, so it's hard to remember how exciting and challenging this time can be. Plus, it seems like it would be so much harder these days with the impact of social media and all the other craziness going on in the world. I want to do my best to support my daughter with all the upcoming transitions she'll be going through, and I'm looking for tips to help her and me navigate all these changes. Just getting a better understanding of what is going on in her mind and body is super helpful in terms of figuring out how to handle some of the challenges, drama, while not taking it all personally. Some of the areas I think would be helpful to cover include, how can I help her manage her changing hormones and emotions in a positive way? How can I accommodate her changing sleep habits? I can't seem to get her out of bed in the morning, yet at night she is firing on all cylinders. I worry she isn't getting enough sleep. Tips for helping her maintain healthy skin. For reference, my husband spent his teen years on Accutane and continuous doses of antibiotics to help manage his acne. I'm hoping genetics work in her favor, but I'm looking for anything I can do to help tip the scales to her benefit. When it comes to food, she doesn't seem to have any specific allergies or intolerance that we have been able to pinpoint, but as an infant and toddler, she had terrible problems with constipation, which we have been able to manage without medication since transitioning to how we eat in our household. As she is becoming more independent and making choices on her own outside of the home and outside of our control, how can I encourage her to make good choices? 
I think we model these behaviors at home, and she genuinely doesn't like a lot of so-called junk food, but I don't want her to feel like she isn't in charge of her own body, feel ostracized for making different choices from her peers, or feel shamed for making choices we wouldn't necessarily agree with. I want her to feel empowered in her decisions, so what I've told her thus far is, if you decide to eat something that you wouldn't normally have at home, pay attention to how it makes you feel so you know if it's something that would be okay to have again. I know some kids will use this time of freedom to overindulge in areas that they may feel deprived from in their own home, whether that's food, video games, certain TV shows, etc. And I don't want that to happen when it comes to food. Anyway, those are just a few of the topics I thought were relevant for this transition period, but so many of the topics you have covered on previous shows could also be tackled from a teen point of view too, like body positivity, social media, menstruation products, and so much more. Plus, anything else that you think may be relevant and probably hasn't even crossed my mind. Looking forward to hearing all the wisdom you two have to share. Thanks, Lisa. So first of all, just shout out to Lisa for understanding how important it is to empower and let autonomy with a teen discovering themselves and becoming an adult. Like I think that's the biggest lesson that is across the board in all of these questions, right? Like all of the topics and what we'll talk about. I think that there's a lot that's being asked here, which shout out to all of the thought that went into this. And we're going to do our best to kind of cover this from very different perspectives. But I just, in case it's your first time listening, want to remind you, um, Sarah and I have a lot of teens. (laughs) All the teens. All the teens. So many teens and a couple 12 year olds. I have um, a tween, an 11 year old, um, and a gosh, I had to do the math in my head, almost 14-year-old and a 16-year-old boys. And then I have a non-binary 15-year-old. Um, and you have I have females. a 12-year-old and 15-year-old uh, daughters. Yes. So um, also we come from uh, different gender experiences too, which I think definitely is it definitely just changes the experience, right? So what um, what my kids uh, find the most challenging is going to be different from your kids. And yeah. also, this always varies kid to kid. Yeah, too, our right? houses are very different. Like, even though we have a lot of the same parenting beliefs and values, like how we approach parenting or implement them in our own homes looks differently. And a lot of that has to do with just your own family dynamic and... Um, your kids' personalities, like my my yeah. kids are um a lot rougher than your kids. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I mean we've spent time together as families before, and it's a good experience for both to be exposed to like my kids seeing your daughter be able to read an entire book series that would have taken me months in like three days and to be able to sit down and focus and um, for you guys to be around a little bit of the chaos and the roughness. Um, and I will it say... It definitely pre- makes us appreciate the quiet when we go. <laughs> yes. We now understand why quiet is so valuable to me. Um, and I also want to say that our family did add foster children in the last two years. We currently have our fourth kiddo and kiddo has been with us for a year. And so I think from that perspective, I'm able to give a lot more thought to how I might approach some of the beliefs that I have if I came into them 
now versus if I came into them when my children were smaller and how we choose to implement or not implement some of the things with kiddo, right? Like it's, it's different. So I think there's a lot to get into and we should probably jump in (laughs) if we're going to tackle this. Uh, yeah, let's, because I think there's, there's so many different moving parts to this question. Um, and we might not, I think we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the stuff that really is like broadly applicable and, um, hopefully cover most of it there. I'm sure there'll be something that we miss. So apologies in advance if we don't get to one of the 6,000 parts of that question. Um, but I think the best place to start is understanding some of the normal physiology that's, that's happening in adolescence. And I think the reason why that's so important is the way that we view the adolescent period of life can be either very empowering or very disempowering. And I think it's helpful to understand that adolescence is an incredibly important phase of neurological development. So a lot of the ways that culturally we uh, refer to those teen years, we tend to refer to them as like the rebellious time or the rebellious phase, a time of raging hormones or like some kind of rite of passage, right? This like transition from childhood to adulthood that is uh, just this time that you have to like survive and get through. And when we approach it in this really negative way, again, it's very disempowering. It disempowering disempowers both the teen and the adults in their life. Um, so it's helpful to understand the the incredibly important neurobiology that's happening in this phase. So what's really important is uh, this is a phase of remodeling in the brain. And there's two main processes that are occurring that are incredibly important. So one is called pruning and the other one is uh, myelin myelination or, or myelin formation. So pruning is the brain basically getting rid of, you know, pruning, literally, you know, taking away neural pathways that it doesn't need. Um, What this does is it helps to differentiate different regions of the brain. It increases specialization of different regions of the brain. And the net effect of that is basically um, solidifying self. So really understanding our own, uh, you know, our morals and values and passions and interests and what drives us. That is all happening through this pruning process. The other process is happening in the brain at this time is myelination, the the forming of these myelin sheaths around neurons, and these actually increase communication. So a myelinated neuron is about 3,000 times more effective at communicating with its uh, adjacent neuron compared to a non-myelinated neuron. And so what this does is it increases linkage and reinforces the neural pathways that the brain is prioritizing, right? So it's pruning ones that it doesn't Uh, need, and then it's reinforcing ones that it does. And the net effect of these two processes is to increase the integration of neural networks in the brain, which has the net effect of increasing insight, empathy, resilience, robust decision-making. These are all of the things that um, lead to a successful, kind, compassionate adult. And so these neural path, these neural changes, right? This neural development that's happening in the brain during adolescence um, is something that we can understand and support and like cherish that 
important development instead of viewing it as, um, as again, just, uh, conflict and, um, and challenge. And so, um, I highly, highly recommend, uh, where I learned all of this neurobiology of adolescence is a book called Brainstorm by Dan Siegel. He's a neuropsychiatrist at UCLA, I believe. Uh, I have, I've, ooh, I think I've got four of his books. Uh, definitely, you know, one of my favorite authors just in terms of development, the, the version of the same book for younger kids is called the whole brain child. Um, and he also has another book I recommend called Mindsight, which is a um, secular mindfulness practice based on the the science of the brain. Um, and one of the things that he talks about in Brainstorm, uh, just a transformative book for, for us and our family, was what he calls the essence of adolescence, which is epic because it is both an acronym and it rhymes. So he refers to the four vital features of, of adolescence. Um, so ES in the word essence uh, stands for emotional spark. So it is this enhanced emotion that's actually generated from various areas of the brain and how the those circuits um, are using emotion to, to reason. The downsides, of course, are what he calls emotional storms, uh, what we call in our house um, anxiety tantrums and moodiness. But the upsides are this like powerful, amazing passion for life um, the, the, that can be um, like applied to a sport or a hobby or school. Like it is that thing that makes a teenager um, just apply themselves to something in this incredibly inspiring way, um, or they might apply themselves to volunteerism. Like it is that, that passion for experience and for learning and growing comes out of this same, um, same sort of, uh, subcortical areas of the brain, um, both uh, applying emotion to reason. The SE, in essence, stands for social engagement. So there's a a big shift in how uh, teens um, value relationships. And so the same part of their brain that might make them susceptible to peer pressure is also the same part of the brain that develops close supportive relationships, mentorship relationships. Um, It's the same part of their brain that um, is going to, to develop these like lifelong friendships. And it is also um, really important to recognize that this type of relationship building that is, you know, the the way that um, adolescents relate to them, to each other, and to the people around them in their lives is very different than how a child relates to them because of these changes in neurophysiology. And that is really important for understanding and building healthy relationships, which are, uh, you know, associated with increased longevity, right? Um, associated with better mental health in the future, better physical health in the future, even, even happiness. So social engagement is a really important part of adolescence. The N in essence stands for novelty seeking. Um, so this actually comes out of changes in the brain's dopamine system. So the downside is more risk-taking behavior. But the upside is this is 
this is how uh, adolescents get the courage to try new things, to um, to explore their world. This is what makes them feel like it's okay to go off to college, to go live in a dorm, to go, you know, start being independent young adults is uh, originates out of this the same um, desire for for novelty. And actually, novelty seeking was a really important aspect of early human evolution because it helped to uh, cross genetic pools. So in adolescence, uh, the adolescent hunter-gatherers would leave their tribes and go seek novel experiences, go merge with another tribe, and that way we were able to get a, a deeper a deeper gene pool. So novelty seeking is a really important part of, of adolescence and human survival. And then the CE of, of essence stands for creative exploration. So this is where uh, adolescents start pushing against the status quo, thinking about how things could be different, um, just basically not accepting things as they are, which is a really empowering way to view the world, right? To to look at what you can change and improve, um, what you can discover. And this can lead to um, things like science and technology advancements, innovations in art and music, right? It all comes out of this creative exploration. The downside is um, that non-conformance can be disorienting. It can be stressful. If it, it can cause clashes when it abuts a different value system. So creative exploration can can create friction in in relationships, which of course are also being valued. So uh, again, all of this comes out of Brainstorm by Dan Siegel, a book that I, I highly recommend. Um, but the reason why I wanted to, to summarize it in this way is that for me, seeing adolescence through this lens really empowered me to develop a different skill set as a parent to work on supporting brain development, um, supporting the positive sides of the essence of adolescence, while also understanding the negatives and being able to have compassion for those. There's some other really important things that are happening um, in the body as part of this change. So as Lisa mentioned in her question, there, there is a normal circadian rhythm shift. So uh, adolescents typically need actually more sleep than we do as adults, about nine hours a night, but they are naturally ready for sleep later and naturally you know, need to sleep in later in the morning. So um, I think you know the biggest tips that I have for that are, you know, Part of this we don't have control over, but this is why a lot of schools are moving to later start times uh, for these age groups. Um, so be okay with going to bed before your teen. Your circadian rhythm is not shifting. It, it is where it is. It's it's naturally earlier. Um, and then find ways to support a sleep habit that's healthy sleep that aligns with that later circadian rhythm. And then also be aware of things that are interfering with circadian rhythm. So yes, they need to go to bed later, but also using a screen in the evening, right? Texting their friends are all things that are going to interfere with circadian rhythm. So that is also something to just be aware of. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, my biggest tip there is be okay going to bed before your teen. Um, I go to bed an hour before my 15 year old every single night. And that's just the way our 
circadian rhythms align right now and and it won't always be like that and then understand yeah <laughs> it's like you just wait wait yeah. i have many things to say mm-hmm. so i love that we've again sarah and i have this variation in the way so for example i stay up very late sarah does not although i've gotten better about that um and so like our kids had very different bedtimes when they were younger Um, but we both really come at parenting from the perspective of wanting to help our children become the best versions of themselves and I know that this is kind of a basic thought process that we hopefully think about when our kids are younger but I think it's especially important to remember this when your kids are teens because Mm -hmm. as parents we have these lessons that we've learned the hard way or things that we wanted to do but didn't get to for whatever reason when we were their age. And we have a lot of maybe subconscious or even conscious desires for our children based on the idea of reliving our life but making it better. And or you want something for your child because you want their life to be great and yours wasn't. And I think that one of the lessons that is most important about parenting teens is that they are their own people. At that point, by the time they get to their teenage years, the hard work has been put in to develop who they are as people. And so as much as Sarah, you were talking about all of these elements of the brain, if we go back to some of the things that we talked about in, I think it was the foster care awareness show where we talked about the amygdala and the hierarchy Mm. of needs and those kinds of things, right? Like it might be the case that in the life that you live, that we can talk more about these kind of higher level specific things um, that Lisa is asking about. But I also just want to say for listeners who have a varied experience, or in my case with our foster kiddo who had a very different life growing up in that development of becoming who they were going to be as a person and the influences that were put into that versus what was put into the children who were raised in my home from the beginning, ultimately I still want the same thing for them, which is to be the best version of themselves. And so I have to kind of put back in my head like, For example, Cole wants to be a chef and I don't necessarily want that for him because it's a very difficult life, right? Like chefs, chefs have a a high stress job. They work late hours, they work holidays, they work weekends. Um, But Cole doesn't really have like a big peer group and I can see how he would be drawn to the community and family that's built within a restaurant and that he can work in peace and quiet and focus on skills that he's really good at and he's come to this conclusion himself and we've talked through some of those things and that's what he wants to do and so I give that as an example because I think sometimes our children tell us things as they're going through these phases, whether, you know, we think of them as rebellious or whatever, but they're literally working through this brain piece that I think is so important to understand and how we react, like you said, Sarah, influences the person they become. And so if we just come to this perspective of trying to help our children be the best versions of themselves versus who we want them to be, it's not the same thing and it's essential to understanding. So before we kind of like jumped into some of these other things that influence like um, 
hormonal and body changes. Also important to understand that in in some of the research and development that I've done, we associate or we think like, oh, it's raging hormones. But when we compare it to like other phases of adulthood life, um, for example, pregnancy or those kinds of things, like our children are not necessarily like exploding with hormones. They're actually exploding with a sense of responsibility. They're exploding mm-hmm. with a sense of, oh, I need to become autonomous. Because in our minds, for our 15-year-old, we're like, you have three years before you have to be on your own. It's okay. We're here for you. In their mind, they're like, I have three years before I have to be on my own. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so true. You know? And so it's just we, the more we can not put ourselves in their shoes because you, you literally can't. You've had your own teenage experience, but your teenage experience plus your adulthood makes it a different memory. And so I just think that the more empathy we can have for them becoming autonomous and finding themselves through all the things they're going through. Yes, their brain is changing. Yes, they have some hormone stuff. Imagine being them right now. Imagine being in a pandemic where social media is what it is. We can't even fathom what that is for teenagers and the implications that it has had on well-being and mental health. Like, I mean, they're they're having CNN, you know, meetings on the Hill about what is happening on not C-SPAN. That's the word I was looking for. The, um, you know, the, the social media people are giving perspectives on how social media is influencing teenage health, especially. And then on top of that, you know, you are in a pandemic where you no longer have access to one of the essential parts of becoming a teenager, which is your peers and developing a sense of community and all that kind of stuff. And then your virtual schooling and how difficult that is. And then your whole plans for a lot of teenagers and what they thought their college experience would look like and how to prepare for it is very different. Like all of that just gives me so much empathy to like when my teenager is grumpy with me, which is every single day, at least one of my teenagers is grumpy with me. I just try to let go of that a little bit and be like, Okay, like I I I'd be grumpy too if I were in your shoes. And um and so I think if you can avoid saying something like well I know you're going through a lot of changes or I know your hormones <laughs> are crazy. Like, you know, if someone said that to you if you were PMSing or because you were pregnant, like you want to punch them in the face, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that's what that's what we're doing that's to our team. Normal human reaction yes. to that statement. <laughs> yes. Um, I love your point about um, uh, not living vicariously through our children or living vicariously through them in a way that is not um, trying to force them down a certain path, right? Like letting them um, discover who they are in a way that you know, you're supporting that discovery and not trying to control that discovery. Because I think applying that type of pressure, I mean, we have, um, you know, something that we're really careful in our, in our home is to not, um, not apply academic pressure to our kids. I mean, I, um, both of my kids are advanced learners and they do extremely well academically and they're very proud of it. It's, you know, something that they love, but at the same time, 
we really want to make it clear that that's not our expectation, right? Our expectation is that they'll work hard at school, but if they work really hard and their grade's a C, we're just as proud of that C as we are. Actually, I'm more proud of that C than I am of the A where that kid didn't have to work, right? And so, you know, really trying to support our kids uh, to set them up to be successful in their endeavors at the same time as not um, not applying my hopes and dreams for them to them, right? Like letting go of what I wanted for them and instead supporting what they want for themselves, right? And really seeing that, seeing like now is the time where they get to figure that out for themselves and embracing that amazing time of discovery. Like I remember as a teenager trying to figure out what I wanted to study in college and what I wanted to do as an adult. And I, um, I certainly went back and forth, you know, quite a lot in terms of which branch of sciences I wanted to study, but it was, um, you know, it was that exploration that, you know, had me come to where I, like I landed. Right. And so I didn't have anybody saying, Oh, you know, well, you, you need to do, you need to be a doctor, right. Or you need to be a pharmacist or like other things that I, I had decided I didn't want to do quite early on. Um, and so not having that pressure meant I was able to just discover, like I knew I wanted to be a research scientist, but what what field of research? I mean, that, that is a very broad, a broad statement. So think about how, how, whether you had the freedom to discover it for yourself as a teenager or whether life would have been really different if you'd had that freedom and think about how to, to give that freedom to your kids. And I think that point Stacy is, is so helpful for just, uh, adjusting our reactions as parents. This show is sponsored by Raycon. And boy, have I never got more clout with my kids. They're obsessed with the wireless earbuds. And I had them help me test. And all have asked for a pair. Matt has stolen the one that we have. Um, yeah, I can, that, that, that fits with what I know about your family. Yeah. So Cole lost his earbuds last year. Um, and like I said, Matt was supposed to give the pair to him, but he straight up told him no and made Cole buy his own pair. And he did actually end up getting a pair, um, of Raycons for Christmas. And now the other boys want a pair as well. Um, (laughs) Matt is outside, working all day sweating, freezing in the wind and rain and snow, moving his head around a lot. He loves listening to podcasts while sorting mail. So the everyday earbuds are about half the size of the ones that he used to use and the case is small enough for the key pocket of his jeans. They're his favorite pair ever. And they magically somehow still have a fit that blocked out the loud warehouse. (laughs) I completely agree. Like I use mine Every single day I use them for like Zoom meetings and listening to podcasts and watching videos. They're really comfortable and the audio quality is amazing. They're comparable to what you would get from other premium brands, except Raycon starts at half the price. 
I think it's super cool that the everyday earbuds come with three sound profiles so that you can make sure everything that you're listening to sounds the best and with just the right amount of bass. So there's the pure mode for podcast listening, bass mode for like hip hop, and then the balanced mode for things like rock or maybe for podcasts, not as balanced as ours. <laughs> Raycon offers eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. There's also a built-in microphone so you can take calls on your earbuds at the press of a button, like when you're carrying groceries or on a long walk with the dog on leash and don't want to have to take your phone out. Right now, listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash wholeview. That's buyraycon.com slash wholeview to save 15% off Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash wholeview. Indeed. All right. Now we can talk a little more about science. You know, I'm always going to bring the, uh, the, the I can talk to it perspective. <laughs> but you've got actual <laughs> research and information to share. Well, I think it it is helpful to to understand that um, you know there are hormonal changes, and you know yes, it's very akin to other times where hormones are um, you know not regulated. It's the way most of sort of a a, a woman's uh, adult life before menopause is going to be fairly predictable, for example. But, you know, obviously adolescent males also have a, a different uh, hormone experience to adapt to. A lot of what's happening in terms of body changes and hormone changes is um, there's a lot of experience that that once gained makes, um, just makes life easier with those hormones, right? So, um, you know, for example, for my girls, understanding when um, when a very sad emotion is likely related to PMS and differentiating, right? Like, uh, how are we going to react to this emotion with that knowledge compared to how do we react to the same emotion when it isn't... Uh, predictably related to a hormone shift. And that I think there's a lot of really important life skills to be learned within that. And I think also understanding what's normal is so, so, so important. Understanding what uh, hormone-related emotions are normal, what body changes are normal. Um, I, I, uh, I mean, it's not just that I think it's important. I mean, studies show that the more educated teens are on reproduction and sex, the better decisions they tend to make. But also there's a lot of, um, of shame with not knowing if something is normal, um, that you can alleviate by just having conversations about, uh, you know, with my girls, it's, you know, what does a, um, menstrual cycle look like? Um, shout out to mama dr jones on youtube she's been an amazing resource for us for a lot of videos to sort of talk about what what's normal like it this is just normalizing normal physiology is really helpful and part of that is getting past the stigma of of what we talk about um so having frank and open conversations about body changes about hormones about sexuality about gender identity incredibly 
incredibly beneficial. And I highly recommend Robbie Harris's books. They were recommended to me by a sex education teacher friend of mine. Um, and there's three books for three different age groups. It's not the stork is for ages four to eight. It's so amazing is for ages seven to 10 and it's perfectly normal is, is recommended for ages 10 to 14. Um, and they, they basically talk about, uh, in an age appropriate way, again, sort of normal body changes, reproduction, um, and sexuality and gender, um, are brought in, in it's perfectly normal, even has a, a section on sexually transmitted infections. It's all the information you want your kids to have so that they can make good decisions, uh, so that they can, um, again, just knowing that something is normal can make all the difference in the world to how a, a child's subjective experiences and, um, and having these books around has given us that ability to, um, you know, have open conversations about all of these different aspects of, uh, you know, growing up. And it's, I, I just, I can't recommend enough having open conversations with our kids about these different topics. I think what has been really eye-opening for me beyond everything you just mentioned, like we're we think of ourselves as a sex positive house and we want to encourage our kids to trust us to ask questions, right? Because yeah. as you said, I would much rather them ask us a question, even if it makes us uncomfortable, than for them to be getting information from their peers or from a TV show that paints things we all know <laughs> not the way life is, right? So I think, you know, we've always considered ourselves that way. And I mean, from the time my kids were toddlers, instead of saying, don't touch your penis, I say, penises are private. Would you like to go to your room? Um, right? Like doing every effort I can to encourage their own exploration of themselves, whether that's, you know, in what passions they want to pursue as they grow up to their own sexual and gender identity. Um, so for those that don't know, Matt has two uncles that are gay. So he actually has total six uncles instead of four. And we also have a um, father-in-law who is transgender, um, like, a, I'm trying to think of what the actual relationship is because it's, um, his brother's, his dad's wife's brother. So I think that's Matt's uncle or the kid's great uncle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, those words are hard for me right now, evidently. So we have a lot of opportunity when our kids were little to talk about some of these things because it is something that is in front of us at family gatherings, for example, right? And if your children haven't had an opportunity to be exposed to, let's say, the LGBTQ community or a non-binary person or a transgender person, as a lot of people in life haven't, then it becomes difficult to have those open conversations, to be a person that your children come to you as. And I think as parents, I've heard a lot lately about 
children exploring and what does that really mean and why is it happening more than when we were younger? And I think, like, first of all, what does it matter? It's it, We can't control what's happening. And um, more importantly, I think, is we're at a place where children are feeling safe to be them their authentic selves. And as a parent, I want to support that. I think yeah. it's natural as parents to wonder if something your teen is going through is influenced by peers or is just a phase. Um, we've all been there and <laughs> we know what that's like, right? Having nothing to do with even gender or identity. Like I know when I smoked my first cigarette, I got it from a friend, right? That wasn't a great life choice that I made. And I'm sure my mother was horrified at the time, but I explored that and ultimately ended up, you know, quitting smoking and hopefully, you know, I haven't smoked in how long, how old is Cole? 17 years. <laughs> but, um, you know, it wasn't a great decision that I made, but there was nothing that my mom could do to prevent that. And yeah. I think as parents, we need to remember that once our kids get to a certain age, that's that's the choices um, that they're going to make. And if we don't support them, if we're not part of their life as they make those choices or, um, you know, in this case, exploring identity, then we're choosing not to be part of their life, not choosing to stop them from doing the thing. Because we know that the quickest way to get your kids to do something is to tell them not to do it. Yes. <laughs> That's why it's called the rebellious phase. Um, and I never grew out of mine. <laughs> I will tell you right now, Matt will tell me things like, do not do the dishes, you know, <laughs> like as a joke. But that's just, you know, my personality. Um, so whether your kids are actually exploring or truly finding themselves, um, the best thing that you can do in any case is to respect and love them. And my children are learning about trans and non-binary in their sex ed classes, which are now called Family Life Education, FLE. Um, so it's good if you educate yourself in case your kids want to talk about or expect you to know about what they're learning in school as well. And I think for our family, even though we had these members of our family, it was entirely different to bring someone into our home who identified as transgender non-binary. And what did that mean? How how were we to refer to a person? And their name and their pronouns have changed several times in the year that they've lived with us. And that's okay. That's what exploring identity is about, especially if someone has been through a difficult time, either with um, trauma to their body, to their brain, you know, to, to different things. It makes it that much harder to know who you are and how do you know what your pronoun is if it doesn't feel right if you don't then try a different one. Um, and, you know, we referred to kiddo as Taco Bell for a while because <laughs> they have like a fourth meal campaign and, mm -hmm. you know, we just, we wanted to support not using their dead name, right, their birth name. Is often called a dead name when someone has abandoned it because it's not right. Um, it's not who they are. And so we were also giving them time to process and think about it. Like, okay, we we know that's not right, but we don't know what is. And so we're happy to call you and, and refer to your pronouns however you'd like. And if you don't like, we're going to call you Taco Bell. <laughs> like, 
like, and that's okay. And it was, it was funny. And of course, we didn't use that in public. Um, but it allowed them to have some time to think and process without it being like a pressure pot situation of, well, why don't you know? If you know it's not right, wh- like, well, why don't you know what is right? Like, who? a child is still going through all the development things that we just talked about. They're still children, teenagers are. And so the the same way that we would want to nurture them if they fell down and they hurt their knee, we want to nurture them if they're going through something emotionally painful. And I think one of the things that has been really helpful for me, especially in all the training and learning that I've been doing, is understanding that not being supportive of a child embracing their true identity Um, There was the largest study ever done in the LGBTQ community done by the Trevor Project in 2020. And of course, it was 2020. So they had experienced the first part of the pandemic, right? So you're getting also, there's a lot of data in that study that I'll link to in um, the show notes. That's really fascinating about the questions that they asked a lot of these teens. Um, But 48% of the group said that in the last 12 months, they had engaged in self-harm. And that number rose for kids who are trans or non-binary. So just being in the LGBTQ community itself, um, 48% had self-harmed. And of that, 60% for trans and non-binary. And 40% of those surveyed had seriously considered attempting suicide during that 12-month period. And those numbers exponentially increase without support at home. So if you go on to look at like the percentage of people who had support at home or didn't have support at home or who were made fun of in school or those kinds of things, some of the percentages go up to like 90% in those cases. So if you know that your teen has a safe space at home, you are helping them truly find their identity, but also helping them avoid some serious health ailments like depression and, you know, suicidal ideations is not something that any of us want our children to be experiencing. So a few tips. I know I just gave you a lot of like bad news, but a few tips before we leave this topic, because maybe your child isn't exploring this, but you have a friend of your child's who is, and you want to be supportive and you want to be, um, encouraging and all of those things. Um, And I will pipe up and say that's exactly what the role that we've played as a family is supporting uh, one of my children's best friend who is also doesn't have a supportive home Mm -hmm. environment or is uh, their parents are trying and they've, there's been a lot of really great changes lately, but being that supportive, safe space as the friend of a friend, I cannot tell you how proud I am of my kids to be able to, to be that supportive, um, like amazing, empathetic, caring friend. And it has made all the difference in this kid's life to, to have that support. So as you get into this, I will emphasize that even if this doesn't apply to you, knowing these things is it's just important in society to be able to support every member of our society. Absolutely. And I was beaming as you were talking about how proud you were of your girls. And I also love that 
I was someone that you could come to and ask questions mm-hmm. about. And so I want to give some of those tips that we talked about here, but also some resources that people can look into to um, educate themselves further. So first and foremost, it is not a preferred pronoun or name. So we need to like remove the word preferred from our vernacular. It is their pronoun or name and you respect them by respecting their identity as they tell you it is. Even if you're like confused by it and you don't understand it, that's okay. You don't have to understand it. You just need to respect it, them, whatever it is. Um, And this is just really essential to basic self-respect. We talk a lot about, you know, self-care and self-respect, self-acceptance on this show. Imagine how difficult it would be to have self-acceptance if in and of yourself, your name, your very being, your identity, your pronoun was not who you were. Like how much harder that would be than just like uncomfortably looking at your body in the mirror, which we talk about a lot as needing to focus on self-acceptance. So um, just making sure that you are respecting someone, even if you don't understand, that's okay. If you do make a mistake and you use the wrong pronoun or the wrong name, that's okay too. No one expects perfection. Even kiddo makes mistakes when they're talking about their friends sometimes. And the best thing to do is to simply repeat the sentence using the correct pronoun or name. And if you're with someone and they don't correct themselves, you can politely correct them and move on. Um, And I've done that with kiddo when they've referred to a friend by the wrong name or pronoun, and they've done it to me countless times as well. I'll do it to Matt, even if Matt and I are just in our room together talking to each other about kiddo and Matt uses the wrong pronoun, I'll correct him and then we keep talking. Um, And, you know, you want to talk about someone as though they were in the room. Um, So just making sure that you're being respectful of their identity at all times, not just in front of them. And again, if you don't understand, that's okay. It's not your identity to understand, but you can respect someone and you can still love them compassionately. And just as someone might change if they were to gain weight, they're still deserving of love, just as someone might change what their identity is. And they're still a valued person in your life and a community member who deserves respect. We all do as humans. And we know how important that is to health and well-being. So just making sure that you're doing that. And um, I encourage you to follow me on social media. I do a lot of gentle learning like this. (laughs) Like, um, I think part of the thing is we're always afraid to be wrong. And so we don't try. But honestly, you can't get better until you do try or you do learn. And I just want to thank everyone who's reached out to us on social to say what a difference that we've made. I heard from so many people that, you know, who are teachers in schools who are now kind of more understanding or, um, you know, people who went to a holiday meal and were introduced to a cousin who used they, them pronouns, and they knew what to do and how to react because they had been exposed. And I just think the more we expose ourselves to this idea, the more we grow as individuals as well. Um, The one person that I have found the absolute most value from, and they do an incredible job of educating with compassion, is Jeffrey Marsh. They, see, they also do coaching um, in addition to educating. And I 
did a coaching call with them that was so insightful about myself um, that I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And their audiobook is also super helpful for um, personal development. Again, just eye-opening stuff for me, um, in addition to just helping me be a better ally. This ad is sponsored by Bombas. Their mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you're also giving to someone in need. We love sharing brands that do good for the world with all you listeners, and Bombas is just that. So far, Bombas customers have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters, and Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So full disclosure, my introduction to Bombas was that the ladies I do water aerobics with put them on after class. <laughs> it's super cold when we get out of the pool and they all like influenced each other because they genuinely keep your feet warm. Of course, I got Matt some for when he's out delivering the mail, but I was surprised to see how many things they make beyond socks. Yes, and they're all made from super soft materials like merino wool, pima cotton, and even cashmere, which makes them the perfect cozy winter layers. And they've designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be soft, seamless, tagless, and has a luxury cozy feel. But I also need to gush about their socks because before trying Bombas, I really just thought socks were socks. And holy smokes, was I wrong! Bombas socks are seriously the most comfortable, cozy, like not too hot, not too cold, never bunches up, doesn't fall down, but doesn't pinch either. Most amazing magic socks I have ever worn. I just ordered six more pairs of the merino wool calf length hiking socks because I plan to never wear non-bomba socks again. Uh, Stacy, I've decided that they're the bomb. Get it? Get it? Bombas bomb. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, uh, you snuck that one in. I genuinely didn't see it coming. Okay. I get your enthusiasm. Um, I also got the Merino wool running socks. I prefer a shorter sock though. And they are soft, breathable, moisture wicking, quick drying. I also got the gripper socks because evidently I'm just an old lady um, and my feet are always cold at home and these will be much safer going down the hardwood floors. I love Bombas listeners, and I know you will too. Go to bombas.com slash whole view and get 20% off any purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash whole view for 20%. Bombas.com slash whole view. So the last... A perfectly normal thing that um, that adolescents experience is uh, increased stress and anxiety. So there are some changes that are happening in the adolescent brain that increase uh, basically susceptibility to or the experience of stress and then susceptibility to anxiety, depression, which can also then uh, lead to other maladaptations like alcohol or drug abuse. Um, and so this has been, been studied in, um, 
in the literature. And this is where um, strategies like mindfulness can be really helpful. Um, I've been really impressed. My my kids, um, the counseling curriculum that they've had since kindergarten has incorporated mindfulness in it, um, as well as growth mindset, which um, is a really wonderful foundation for us then to build on in the family. Um, it's helpful to um, also refer back. So we've covered mindfulness on the show. This is where supporting healthy sleep habits can also be really helpful. This is where support Supporting good nutrition can be really helpful, which of course we're going to, we're going to get into next understanding nutrients depleted by stress. So we talked about that in episode 446, but a couple of the studies that we looked at in that episode were looking at vitamin C supplementation in teens who were experiencing uh, stress due to it being exam week. Um, so understanding how to support kids nutritionally um, and also the value of therapy. I think I'm, we're probably going to come back to this again and again and again. Um, but, you know, therapists, licensed therapists, um, their expertise is teaching tools for us to navigate the challenges that we face in our lives. And I only have the tools that have worked for me to share with my child, right? And and same with my husband, he only has the tools that have worked for him to share with our child. So when our child is dealing with anxiety, the best way for her to learn the most different tools to find the tools that are going to work for her is to talk with an expert who has a way bigger repertoire of of things that, you know, she can teach my child. So uh, you know, again, viewing therapy as skill development and um, not as a statement on, you know, whether or not you could or couldn't cope. That's not what therapy is. Therapy is an amazing opportunity to learn about yourself and to learn skills that help navigate life. And that uh, can be just an amazing tool for adolescents. Um, and especially through this increased susceptibility to, to stress and anxiety and, and related mental health challenges. Yeah, we've talked a lot, um, as Lisa indicated, about so many things that I think applies to teenagers and the stress and anxiety of the last couple of years, I think, as first and foremost, honestly, I mean, I, as I mentioned, cannot imagine being a teenager in these times. I know just this morning, kiddo and I were sitting in the car before school started and talking about their stress and how anxious they were about upcoming SOL testing and how, you know, after being away from school physically and all of that kind of stuff, they were assuming the worst and uh, imagining and envisioning the worst case scenario of that, right? Like, eaten by a dragon and you know like <laughs> not actually but you know what I mean just like but the yeah, absolute sometimes, sometimes in the adolescent brain uh going from a to b feels like the perfectly logical like I'm I like next step of of worry and when the adult hears going from a to b we're like what how what those aren't yeah dragons. You, just, you just went all the way around the alphabet backwards to get to b why yeah, did you do that exactly. yeah um, and so, you know, one of the phrases that I use often with all of the kids and honestly with Matt and myself as well is to not assume the worst. Mm -hmm. And so instead of, you know, if I hear the worry and the anxiety, 
Um, so I'm also reading Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart, which I highly recommend if you're trying to educate yourself on some of these things. And I think if you have teenagers, it's very helpful. Um, and so worry is an expression of a state of being of anxiety, right? And so if you're having anxiety and it's expressing itself as worry, one of the ways that you can kind of combat that is don't allow yourself to get lost in the black hole of worry because it doesn't actually help anything to worry about all of the worst case scenarios and to think through those things. You have not controlled the situation by thinking through everything. All you've done is allowed yourself to feel negatively and feel anxious in those times. And being able to express that to a teenager looks similar to, okay, let's not assume the worst for this moment. What are some of the ways that this could go well? What are some of the ways that this has benefit to your life? And oftentimes that ends up being like, well, I'd learn a lesson, <laughs> right? Like with a teenager, <laughs> oftentimes that's where they go. Yep. Um, but also you you might be surprised at some of the ways that if you encourage them to think through it from a different perspective that they can come up with that solution. I know for me, I am certified in collaborative problem solving. Um, it's like a class that I took um, to help be a better parent and foster parent. And one of the exercises in collaborative problem solving that we spent months learning is just this activity of, I I can tell that you're frustrated by X, not a behavior, right? But it's like, it seems like you might have a hard time getting ready for school in the morning. What's up with that? Instead of saying, I can't deal with you having a tantrum every single morning before school. Like those are two very different ways to approach something. And so if you're saying like, what's up with that? They might share some of these worries that they have. And then you're able to kind of have a conversation like, well, first of all, validating feelings. Like, thank you for sharing. That's so helpful for me to understand. I'm, I'm thinking about some of the ways that this might actually be a good thing. Can can you think about some ways that this could go well? And remapping their brain, as we talked about from the beginning, to kind of like focus on this other thing will alleviate some of the stress and worry. And I think it's it's helpful when we think about the pressure that kids are under from, you know, school, society, and um, school, <laughs> society, <That's cool>. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that we give them those tools to do themselves because we're not there. We're not, we're not there when they're in school and they're stressed because a teacher says, if you don't turn in this homework by this time, then you will fail all school forever and ever and you will never be able to make anything of your life. And you know for sure that the teacher didn't say that, but that's what they heard, right? Yeah. And so you got to walk back through it. We actually had a like perfect example of this experience last week with my 15-year-old who was experiencing a lot of anxiety about choosing her courses for next year. And her anxiety, as we talked through it, uh, first of all, as we walked away and had a lot of good sleep and then came back in a logical, calm mindset and were able to talk through it, uh, when we did finally, you know, when we were able to finally talk about what was the emotion behind that anxiety, what was the worry, it was, you know, worried about um, being being like overburdened with with homework, right? Just having, just taking on too much. 
and we were able to sort of talk through, you know, what's what's the data that's going into that to that worry, and what's exactly this? What is the what is the worst thing? Like what what is what is the worst? The worst is, um, yep, learning some <laughs> learning a lesson, and also, you know, maybe having uh, five months of school where it is, you know, it is tough, and um, and that's gonna force some skill building around time management and schedule and prioritization. It's going to help inform course selection in the future, but then also, you know, there's a lot of actually really valuable skills in that challenge. And are we, are we trying to avoid challenge or are, is this, you know, is this fear really, you know, based on data and um, being able to to take this, uh, I like the black hole of worry though. I'm totally going to use that because in my family, we can be like, remember to don't go close to the event horizon. We're going to nerd that up a thousand <laughs> times. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love that phrase. I'm going to use that, uh, next time we're, we're, uh, we're in that, um, talking through anxiety, uh, family, <laughs> family event. Um, but this was exactly the, the part of that conversation was, you know, don't assume the worst, but let's also talk through, you know, what, what is the worst? What is the best? What, what are the, what are the different possible outcomes? And, and that, you know, anxiety is in many cases born out of uncertainty, um, uncertainty and, and sort of lack of, lack of power, right? Lack of control. And so wherever we can talk through possible outcomes to remove that uncertainty, and then empower through that conversation, that has been really successful for us. This podcast is sponsored by Just Thrive. I take this probiotic every day, and because I've seen such incredible results personally, I have my teens take it, and I recommend it to all my skincare clients too. Yes, we all take Just Thrive Probiotic daily in our home as well. It's been amazing for my teen daughter's skin, but also for my health in general. And that's because Just Thrive Probiotic is completely unique because of the science-backed and clinically proven strains in their formula. Just Thrive uses four keystone species strains of bacillus probiotic bacteria, which means they're essential for creating a gut environment where other probiotics you've probably heard of, like lactobacillus and bifidobacterium, can grow. Just Thrive's four strains have been shown to improve digestion, restore microbial diversity during infection, stabilize the gut microbiome, inhibit the growth of pathogenic species, and even produce bioavailable antioxidants right in the gut, like carotenoids and lutein. I love that we can say all of that because it's backed by clinical trials. Yes, in one trial, just supplementing with Just Thrive Probiotic reduced leaky gut and inflammation. That's incredible. I'm no scientist, but my favorite fun fact is that unlike other types of probiotics, the natural source for these strains is dirt, which means they don't need to be refrigerated. And unlike a lot of other probiotics, Just Thrive is free of wheat, gluten, dairy, nuts, soy, salt, sugar, artificial colors or flavors, binders, fillers, allergens, and GMOs. And listeners, you can get all your Just Thrive products discounted at justthrivehealth.com slash discount slash the whole view and use code the whole view for 15% off at checkout. 
that includes bundles and subscriptions. So definitely double up on your savings at justthrivehealth.com slash discount slash the whole view with code the whole view. Now that we're an hour into the show, I think we should start to answer Lisa's questions. <laughs> yep, I think I think, uh, I think we've laid enough groundwork to finally answer the question. Um, I think that the best thing we can do to help our teens make healthy choices, and this applies to whether or not you started uh, making healthy choices when they were young, or you're just discovering. Um, you know, some, some better information about diet and lifestyle now that they're teens and you want to start implementing it as a family. I think the number one tip I have, and this is something that Lisa's already doing, is modeling that healthy behavior for our teens. And that is because teens have spidey super smell for hypocrisy. And they can smell that a million miles away. And so when we are, you know, telling our teens, oh, you know, you need to go to bed earlier, you need to eat more vegetables, uh, you need to, to be active. If we're not modeling that behavior, um, they're, they're not listening to us. Um, but the other piece of that is um, a lot of how we model the behavior is, you know, as they're trying to understand themselves it gives them that route to come back to. So um, I, as we'll sort of talk about different strategies here, um, there there is uh, it's really important to respect a teen autonomy and they might not make all the choices that you want them to make. And so in modeling uh, healthier day-to-day choices and diet and lifestyle, you are also setting an example for them to come back to when they are ready for those things. I actually, I'm going to correct something you said. You said they may not make all the choices that you want them to. They will 100% (laughs) not make all the choices that you want them to. And so what you can do in being this model is also being a consistent place that is safe that Mm -hmm. they trust and will come back to because my kids will choose to eat foods that we don't eat here in the house outside of the home as Lisa referred to what do we do about that exactly what Lisa did well how do you feel when you come home and you don't feel that way and my kids will say like oh I you know made x choice and now I feel bad like they know that that's the choice that they've made and just like we make choices that aren't the best like let's not be hypocrites I right? don't know what you're talking about yeah Stacey. exactly like <laughs> we all make plenty of choices that we know are not for our absolute best interest but whether it was because it felt good, whether because it gave comfort, whether because it was, you know, a social choice, we, that is part of learning of adulthood. And if we exaggerate that response and become, you know, obsessive over it, then it doesn't become normal, right? Then it becomes this ugly diet culture monster that we've talked a lot about versus like, This is a choice you made and choices have consequences. Your healthy choices can help you feel good and be healthier. Your not healthy choices have other consequences. Like 
you have you've done the groundwork and laying this foundation for your children and we've got to trust them now just the same way that we want them to trust us we have to give them that autonomy and I love that what you're saying about modeling and avoiding hypocrisy because um I think it's super important um I know from the perspective of kiddo coming into the house um it was very gradual for them because they have a very rebellious nature, <laughs> like very rebellious nature. Um, That's and the essence of adolescence. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So <laughs> they also, um, like many foster children, grew up with food insecurity or um, lack of variety in food options that we might think are very basic. And so coming into our home, having an experience of, from their perspective, having made their own food be ramen and cereal themselves for many years, asking them to sit at a table which they'd never sat at a table for a family meal before and eat in front of other people, which they'd never done before. And um, based on some of their needs is a problem Um, and asking them to eat foods that they've never had before. um, That's a lot. Like I can't ask a teenager, just like we say, you can't go from McDonald's to liver burgers, right? I can't ask a teenager who has never experienced some of those things to then say, now sit down at my table and eat my cully rice. You know, like it's yeah. just not going to happen. So we did a lot of modifying the foods that we ate to be uh, more palatable, right? So cassava pasta dishes and a lot of um, rice as sides and just encouraged them to try. And I think the biggest thing for me as, you know, they were 14 when they came, they're 15 now. I can't force them to do anything. A teenager is not someone who is going to respond well by, you know, threats and control. Like that's only going to backfire. And so if I force someone to say, well, you have to eat, you know, blah, blah, blah. um, That's that would only create way more food um, issues in our case. And so, you know, the option was, I understand you might not want to eat in front of everyone. Totally respect that. Um, I'm going to ask that you sit with us because we enjoy your company. And this is the time that we're all together as a family. And if you want to eat leftovers later, that's okay. I am going to ask that you eat something. Here are your choices, you know, and I list a couple of choices for them. And just like we would do with toddlers, like, okay, well, tell me what your favorite proteins are. What's a protein? That's how basic we are. A protein is something with a face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, I like eggs. Does that count? Absolutely. Eggs counts. Okay. You know, like, and so we have a list of like, these are their favorite proteins. These are their favorite vegetables. Turns out they love peas. So if I put peas in anything, they'll eat the, they'll eat the whole thing because they love peas, which was super helpful to know, you know? And so I think obviously this situation is different because if you're jumping into healthier eating with teens, you've raised those teens a certain way, but you might have to acclimate, 
acclimate them to this new way the same way in saying like, hey, I know traditionally we've done this and we're going to make some changes this way, but I want you to feel comfortable and to have options that work for you as well. Um, what if we did the meal plan together and, or, you know what I mean? Like whatever that looks like for you, add peas to every meal. <laughs> like yeah. I don't know, but um, it's such a game changer versus if I put food on a table and were to say, no, you must eat here and, you know, you have to eat this meal. Um, I mean, we've, we've had like days where they wouldn't eat if that were the situation, right? So yeah. that's not productive either. And I think that there's a lot of parents that can identify with um, disordered eating. It, it is a go-to, especially for females, but for, you know, both genders to um, seek control and um, a control over their life um, a control over like someone else not being able to control them, right? It's something that um, you subconsciously are deciding to do because it's something that only you can make a decision on. And so, you know, one of the things that Kiddo and I talk about a lot, they know some friends that have um, extreme disordered eating based on, you know, the their peer group and the you know additional resources that they get and all that kind of stuff and so one of the things that we talk about is I'm like well when you think of that friend you know how is their home life well you know their mom is really you know demanding of x y and z and they don't like that they don't feel respected and so this is that push-pull that this kid is doing because of that situation, right? Is that to say that they wouldn't be in the situation that they're in if the parent hadn't been more supportive? Absolutely not. I'm not trying to blame one individual person. But I, I can look at a situation and hear the you know, sadness and the anxiety that a child is telling me and saying, well, I'm making these choices because of that. And I think that we can also flip that coin and say, you know, my kids are exploring foods that they've never had before when they're outside of the house because we've had a very different style here. And my job, I believe, is to not create that dynamic of control with them and to allow them to explore and hopefully come to the conclusion themselves. I mean, if I think back to what I ate when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, like I wasn't making great choices either, you know, so they have the foundation and we have to trust that we've done our work and that eventually they will come back to that. Or at the very least, they'll like occasionally get a salad, you know, when they start to, (laughs) when they start to feel like they really need it. Um, no, I love that. And I, there's a couple of things that I, I want to comment on, on what you just shared, Stacey. And first was, you know, we had a very similar challenge with food with my oldest, not related to disordered eating, but related to sensory processing, processing disorder when she was young. So, you know, also, you know, just understanding that new experiences with food can be really, really challenging. I actually, um, sat down with both of my, my girls in sort of preparation for this podcast and sort of asked them, like, how do you feel about how you eat? And, um, how do you feel when somebody's eating something else, you know, at school or when you're at a friend's house and, um, and what, you know, how would you, uh, approach, you know, what would work for you if we were just making these changes now? Like, we've, we've been eating this way for a decade. And the net effect of that is, you know, my girls are really proud about how healthily they eat. They really like the foods they eat. 
um, we, oh, we have treats. Um, you know, we, we have, um, you know, chips and desserts and we, we have a sort of balanced approach in that sense. So they don't feel like they're missing out at least most of the time. Um, and so because of that, they don't feel pressured to eat other foods. And because we've always had age appropriate conversations about why we eat this way, they also have a really strong knowledge base to, to pull from. And that doesn't mean they're perfect. They've definitely eaten things outside of the home that um, did not work for them. I got a call week before last uh, from my 15 year old uh, saying, uh, I just accidentally ate some gluten. What, <laughs> what do I do? And, you know, we, we, figured out a, a good solution where she could have some uh, gluten digesting enzyme supplements from Just Thrive in her uh, backpack for, for next time that happens at school. And, you know, we were lucky it wasn't a really bad reaction, but it was a good learning experience for her. And I did not turn that into nagging or judging. Um, it was just, okay, so, you know, what did we learn? We learned that sometimes gluten is sneaky and uh, here's here's a thing that we can do to add a layer of, of protection in addition to let's talk through more uh, ingredients that mean gluten because we realized that was not something that she had a, a really thorough understanding of. But when we talked about, you know, what if we were just starting now? Both of my kids, the, the thing they said is, Stacey, exactly what, what you said, go slow, make the healthier version of your normal foods, gradually add some vegetables and fruit, uh, my 12-year-old said, you know, if the only change is adding an orange to that your lunch, that's a great change. And I was so proud of them for being able to, to see that the, those small steps really do make a difference. And the science shows that we benefit in our health from every slightly better choice that we make, right? Like every little step towards um, that healthier diet and lifestyle is meaningful. And so I think celebrating those steps makes a really big difference and doing it in a way that engages your teens in the decision-making that, um, that respects their likes and dislikes and having those conversations, like, you know, having the, the, the whys, um, and not in a, teachy way, but in a, you know, the same way you would talk about, I mean, we're a super nerdy family. So for us, it's like, let's start off with a super nerdy fun fact, like sweet potatoes have 90% of your nutrition's per calorie. Isn't that cool? Um, but there's also just ways you can talk about the healthier foods that's appealing to their interests, right? Um, eating more of this type of food is going to support, uh, the sport you do, or this has been shown to improve memory, which is going to make studying easier, right? Whatever their interests are, um, you know, having these informative, but not patronizing conversations is another way of sort of laying that groundwork for supporting, uh, your teen's decisions and then, uh, and then choose your battles, right? That's, it amounts to what are the priorities, um, and sometimes a priority is no. Is the priority ever food? I don't know if it ever is. I yeah. think I feel like there's so much more that's more important. Yeah, and I I think that's definitely what I've come to with recognizing 
how complex teenage lives are, right? Especially with some of the things that I've mentioned, food insecurity, mental wellness, um, anxiety and stress at school itself, what might be going on in their peer group. And I think if your teens feel like they can't even talk to you because you berate their food choices, like they're not going to talk to you about some of the bigger things. And so I try to be really respectful at this point. Like I buy more stuff now for the kids that I wouldn't personally eat than I did when they were younger. And part of that is because we have an additional person whose needs vary from what their needs varied years ago, right? Like my biological children, but also because like if my 16 year old says, well, I'm going to only eat this protein bar or I'm going to eat nothing at all because I don't feel comfortable taking off my mask in school at the lunch table, then I'm going to find the best protein bar that he says he'll eat and be happy with that. Like, and that's just the choice that we're going to make and we're going to move on. And I'm not, I'm, that's his choice. He's 16. I can't, I can't control that. And if what he's telling me is this, that or nothing, like my choice is I would rather him eat that than nothing, you know? So I think we each have to, like you said, pick your battles. But for me, the battles with food are more like making sure that people are getting enough nutrients, right? So sometimes I'll say to the kids, like, have you had a fruit or vegetable today? (laughs) You know, they'll laugh and they'll be like, well, you know, I had this, I had that. I'm like, might be time, you know, and we kind of laugh about it and they're like, all right. Um, But if it's, if it's anything more than that, I can feel that push pull. I can, I can feel it going down a different path. And I know, you know, we, we had this question on the Patreon Q&A about sugar. I, I, I feel the, the same kind of way about, like, the variety of, of foods and different kinds of things. I mean, you mentioned gluten, but also, like, I'm just at a point where I'm like, my 16-year-old is going to graduate high school next year and go to culinary school where he is 100% going to just be eating everything, including gluten. And so I'm going, I'm, gluten is not going to be in our house. Like it's not going to, to be here. I'm not going to pay for it if we're eating out. But if that's a choice that he's going to make, or if he's going to eat um, more, su- like more sugar than, you know, we would have I'm using quotation marks, like said is okay a couple of years ago. Like I just, I'm in a, I'm like tossing my hands up in that like hand shrug thing, right? Like that's not the battle that I'm picking today. <laughs> like yeah. that's just, you know, um, we, ha- we have certain rules, like don't eat on the carpet, don't eat in your room, don't leave dirty dishes in your room because you break the rule anyway, um, you know, things like that. But that's just normal teenage stuff, I think. And so I think it needs to be more about, like you're saying, having the, um, the healthy habits that you can encourage as much as you can. So, okay, we're gonna we're gonna move on from food, or you have we have more no, things. No, I, I think I think there's just quickly. I think it. I think the same philosophy extends to activity, sleep, and stress management, and I think yeah. that's kind of the the important piece there. Um, both modeling the healthy behaviors uh, and engaging your teen, right? So maybe it's. Um, doing something fun as a family, right? Whether that's uh, a jigsaw puzzle as a mindfulness activity 
or uh, a fun walk. I mean, and then also knowing that it is perfectly normal for your teens to value time with their friends more than time with their family and respecting that as well. Um, and, um, and so I, I think that all the same sort of philosophy with, with food applies to lifestyle. We, uh, support them making good decisions and we also respect their autonomy. And then we model the behavior and we create an environment in the home where, uh, you know, if my kid goes to a sleepover and stays up till four in the morning, that is obviously not a decision that I would make now. Um, then when she comes home and she needs to catch up on her sleep, we're that, we're that place where she can catch up on her sleep because, um, of that choice that she made. And again, it doesn't become about why'd you guys stay up so late? Right. I think, um, yeah. just, or you shouldn't have stayed up so late. Like that's a yeah. should word, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, I think the other thing that I do with my kids who are generally less activity prone than your family, um, they would play video games all day long if they could is telling them that they need to have one thing that's their own is kind of how I phrase it. And so mm. I'm like, what is, what is the thing that you're going to do? Whether it's a hobby, whether it's a physical activity, whether it's a job, um, you need something that is for you because it's confidence boosting, it's physical activity. There's so many like elements of that for a teenager. And I think that has been a way that I feel comfortable phrasing it instead of saying like, you need to move your body more or you need to be more physically active or you need to get out of the house and go play with your friends. Like those kinds of things don't sit well with the kids, right? Like, yeah. but I think in encouraging them to come up with like, what's a thing that you want to do? And it doesn't need to be permanent. Like Wesley tried Taekwondo for a few months. Then I was like, I'm done. <laughs> right? Yep. But, um, and that's okay. Like I respected his choice. We talked it through. I made sure that he was, you know, actually wanting to be done, but I think, you know, we all as adults need those things as well, right? We need to understand ourselves and our autonomy. And I think our kids need to be able to discover that as well. Uh, I agree completely. So I think we should move on to, oh, I just used the word should, but you know, I didn't mean it that way. Let's move on to the aspect of Lisa's question relating to acne and teen skin, because Stacy, you are the resident expert <laughs> on all things skincare. Um, and I know, you know, having had to switch things up for my kids in order to, to really uh, the, the discovery that they have dry skin acne instead of oily skin acne, thanks to you as a knowledge base has been completely transformative for their skin. And so because so much of a kid's confidence um, can be impacted by their skin. I think this is a really important aspect of Lisa's question to get into. So Stacy, what are the most important things? So what I tell people, because I've helped a lot of people with teenagers, um, is change your pillowcase more often and use a material that is good for skin. So there's like a, a bamboo that's silk-like or silk or an organic cotton. And take a probiotic. I always recommend Just Thrive Probiotic. Um, and then implement as many diet changes as you can. More water, less sugar, you know, gluten, dairy, those are the big ones, um, and go a long way. 
beyond that, if you're not making some of those basic changes, then topically it's difficult to address everything that your skin needs, but you can support it. We actually did a deep dive on episode 344 where we talked about the nutrients and personal care for preteens and acne prone skin that I would highly encourage anyone to listen to who really wants to get kind of in the weeds on this. But I kind of partition teenage skincare out into three areas. One, empower them to understand why using cleaner products is important and help them choose some. Uh, I know a lot of teens want to use like what their friends are using or what they can afford at the store. And so if you're willing to, for the sake of their health, help them choose some better things, that's ideal. And I mentioned um, on the FAQ, I have a target guide on my blog that you can check out as well as, you know, I help people all the time figure out like more affordable ways to get better skincare for their teens. As Sarah mentioned, (laughs) I do consults and um, all that kind of stuff because it really, it's not like a one size fits all like, oh, I'm a teenager. So therefore I need this kind. It's really dependent on individual needs and gut health. So the first is to empower with information. The second is to focus on gut health and nutrient density. And the third is then to address it with skincare. So, um, I think that a zinc-based moisturizer works for everybody that's a teen, and it helps with blocking blue light and uh, UV rays, and also zinc is really anti-inflammatory. So that ends up being one that I refer almost everybody to. Um, And then, of course, the four-step routine that I always talk about, which teens do not want to do. And some shortcuts for that can be like after you've washed your face, Use a a mist, like a rose mist um, spray toner, and then you can just put the serum and moisturizer in your hand together and put it on. So um, it's really, I know it sounds like, oh, four steps, I can't do that. But then it's like, well, just wash your face, spray it, and then put this on. Okay, I can do that. Um, But yeah, I think if people go back and listen to that show, they'll hear all about, you know, the the details that we went into. And I'll also put a link in the show notes to a blog post that I have which lays out like specific products based on um, different kinds of skin as well as like some before and after photos of um, teens that did what I said and had really good results. (laughs) (laughs) So let's wrap up with just talking about um, the, the emotional outbursts and, and, you know, I think we've talked a lot about, the importance of communication. And I think the, the last remaining experience for me as the mom of a almost teen and a teen is, um, that it, it feels in a lot of ways sort of similar to a toddler's temper tantrum. Um, but how we navigate them is completely, or is in many ways different. I would say not actually completely different. Um, but there, there's obviously a different a uh, way of communicating through those emotions with a teenager than there is uh, through those emotions with a toddler. And so let's let's wrap up talking about um, dealing with the emotional outbursts. I know that Stacy, you have some really great resources that you found really helpful for this. Yeah, how you feel about that brain guy? I feel about Lisa Demore's work. Um, she does a fantastic job as. Um, 
a, I think I'm saying this right, psychologist. Um, she does social media, podcast, YouTube, and audiobooks are fantastic. I actually recommended to you the book Untangled because it was so mm-hmm. helpful for me in understanding team development. And she talks about some of that brain stuff um, and hormone stuff as well, but really focuses on emotion. I also took, um, as I mentioned, the collaborative problem solving training course. So if you're having a real headbutting situation with your teens, I would suggest looking into that. Um, it, it's a game changer, not just for kiddo, but for how I talk to all of my children at this point. And I wish that my mom had had that tool when I was growing up. Cause I feel like we would have, <laughs> would have gone a lot better for us. Um, but I think ultimately the most important thing is for your teen to feel safe with you. Um, at home is where we teach to self-regulate and appropriately push back on like the injustices of the world and all of those kinds of things. They're testing out on you. And I think, you know, when I was when the kids were younger and I called them like spirited children, right? <laughs> I would always say, like, well, this is really great for anybody other than their parent. <laughs> Right. Like, and you just kind of have to remind yourself that your teenagers are are going through that as well, because you want them to be able to overcome like when a teacher or the boss is just the worst. Right. And if they're learning to unleash on you and um, you react a certain way, it's not going to teach them how to do that in real life. And so I think it's important that you point out what is okay and respectful and appropriate when they're talking to you um, and unleashing on you and then, you know, asking them like, okay, I understand now we're going to be respectful of one another. Like, help me understand what the problem is or, you know, however you want to phrase that so that they know that they can tell you. And um, there's also like a standard of respect that needs to be held. Um, and I say things like, it's not okay to talk to me that way. I want to mm-hmm. hear what you're saying, but it's not okay to talk to me that way. And a big one for my empath self to learn was to not pick up the emotions that they're putting down. We see this a lot, especially with biological female based on, I don't know if it's biological hormone needs or what the case may be, but the emotions that they feel are expressed in kind of like a radiated out sort of way and it's released, right? And especially with teenagers, like, okay, now I've just released these feelings and they feel great and skip away. <laughs> and then you as the parent are just like catching all these things that they just like released onto you and you're you're standing there holding it like, oh my gosh, what did you just give me? I don't want this, you know? And they feel great because they're released. Just know that you don't have to pick up those emotions. You don't have to carry those emotions. Like you can be someone who allows them to share with you and then you can just set it down on the floor. And if they want to stare at it and wonder if they need to pick it back up, that's their choice, right? But sometimes in those conversations, I would get pulled into that chaotic spiral of teen angst and like feel myself kind of like getting angry too, either at whatever they were frustrated with, like how someone treated them or, you know, whatever the case may be. And instead like, okay, that's not that's not mine to control. That's not my responsibility. Mm -hmm. Like this is what they're working on themselves. And that's where I think it's really important to ask them, do you want me just to listen or would you like my help? And that's been a really important key phrase in 
my ability to let go of something because then I know, like, is it my job to help or am I just listening? And I know I quite frequently just want people to listen, right? Like when I talk to Matt, when we pillow talk at night, like 90% of the time, I'm just telling him about things. I'm not asking him to solve my problems. And that's, that's what you are for your teens if you have a really positive relationship with them. Hopefully they're coming to you and telling you these things. And most of the time, they actually just want you to listen and not solve their problems or help. So by being able to have that discourse with them and have them answer, it's easier for you not to feel the burden that they're carrying all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly how we've sort of handled these types of situations in our house. Um, I find acknowledging the emotion that is driving the behavior rather than the behavior itself to be really helpful while also, you know, exactly like that was, that was an inappropriate thing to say. Like I am, I'm here listening to you and trying to help. Um, so you can't talk to me that way in this way that's disrespectful and expect me to continue to want to listen to you and and help you. So let's, change, uh, let's change how we're, we're talking to each other in this moment. Right. So also, you know, calling out when they cross that line, but in the same time, in a way that is, um, compassionate understanding of what is the subjective experience that my child is going through at that, at that moment. And that comes from listening, um, and not just reacting to the behavior. And I, you know, uh, let's, let's, also acknowledge that there are times where that's easier as a parent than others. And, um, and that's not to say that I've navigated every emotional outburst that my child has had, uh, with grace and (laughs) dignity. So, um, so also I think it's important to recognize that we're all skill building, uh, in, in this phase, right? There's a lot of learning that I feel that I'm doing as a person by being the parent of teens. And I think that, um, you know, that's making, that's making me a better person too. And sometimes that means learning by making mistakes, you know, not making the best choice in that moment. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I think the the as we wrap up, um, I think there's a piece of this that is, you know, be willing to learn and adapt yourself as the parent and also make sure that in all of this, right. Parenting teens, with all the most functional communication and the best possible relationship is still hard work. Uh, there are still a lot of things about parenting teens. that's really challenging. So um, make sure that in all of this, that you're looking after your own mental health um, and that you are also, you know, in supporting your teens, you're also looking for the opportunities to learn and grow as a person yourself. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I was in, a not great place. As you know, how many times did we like have conversations about how difficult it was for me? I don't know, before a year ago, um, especially when I was trying to handle everything myself, I don't think that I could have survived without the support group and training classes that I've been taking. Like it has really helped me, as you said, learn and grow, but also learn how to be a better support and to not take so much on personally and to have a place where I could feel like I could let go. Right. And so mm-hmm. I have to go to a, a support group where we all sign NDAs based on my own personal, um, uh, 
needs right now, but hopefully you have a friend group who, you know, you can do that with and and feel comfortable sharing your problems with. All right, I want to leave us with one last thing. And I'm actually really excited to share this tip because it's been super awesome and it's a fun one. Are you ready? Yes. The Disney movie Luca, which is free on the Disney Plus app. I don't know where else you can see it at this point. Have you seen it? I have not. I have not been able to talk the girls into seeing it. So you're going to watch it this week now because Luca has anxiety and doubt in the movie. And he refers to it as a person, like a second name. So let's say you want to call your negative voice Todd. Whatever it is mm-hmm. that like your your perfectionism creeps in, your anxiety creeps in, your nervousness creeps in. Um, when this happens with my kids, we each they each have a name. Um, kiddos is Bruno. And when they start to feel that way, I say to them, tell Bruno to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and they laugh and they're like, yeah, you're right. And there's something about pulling it away from themselves. Like they don't own it. Like it's somebody else. It's some, it's something else that is really powerful. And I, I've been doing this for a while and then I actually watched a training video of somebody talking about it less than a week ago and they gave explanation on why that's so powerful for teenagers because they feel so much like pressure to become their own person that like pulling this away like that's somebody else that's not you kind of like alleviates that burden from them and allows them to just like set it aside and not have to own it anymore. So um you need to first like name it, whatever it is, so you can watch this movie. And then the next time it happens, you can be like, hey, you remember when Luca was having that? And then he, he told that guy to shut up. Yeah, you need to tell your guy to shut up. <laughs> I love that so much. It yeah. brings me right back to um, uh, my youngest had a, a large collection of imaginary friends, including one named Bada. And Bada was the one who always did the bad things that were yeah of course they did. <laughs> also had an imaginary friend called Mira mom uh who was the mom who let her do whatever she wanted and so I had to compete against an imaginary mom for coolness which uh also again um there was a large collection of imaginary friends uh that Mira had but uh but yeah Bada was Bada was the bad one and Mira mom was the amazing mom who let her do whatever she wanted so that <laughs> that brings me back to to that uh, that time of whimsy, but in a way that's very practical. I love that. Well, tip. tell the girls that I said Luca's worth watching. We all really enjoyed it, um, and it'll be fun. Uh, it, I will try. Okay, I will try. I've been campaigning for a while now. Every, every time we're like, should we watch so something this weekend? There's How third, about Luca? There's third party validation in Stacy saying yeah, that's for cool. sure. All right. Well, those of you that have made it this far, thank you so much for listening. We know it was a long one. Lisa had a great question with lots of different areas that we wanted to make sure to tackle. And you can hear more about our own experiences over on the Patreon. And we'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening. Vlog. And I'm at the Paleo Mom. And we've got more great resources on our websites and in our newsletters.
<laughs> Long time no chat. <laughs> this, this is how we test test the sound. It's not testing, testing. Can you hear me now? It's hello. <laughs> Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.